HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Q Drinks, carbonated mixers made for your cocktail. Visit their website at qdrinks.com. That's Q, the letter, drinks.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil that rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Southern Teague. Um, Damon Bolte is away this week, unfortunately, but he's having a great time out in Portland, Oregon. Actually, I think he's on a plane right now on his way back, so he's not going to be with us in the studio today. Beautiful day out here in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I want to just throw a quick shout-out of a c- congratulations to a couple friends of mine who are on the newly released James Beard uh, Foundation um, Awards list. Uh, no Anchor Bar, Chris, is, and the new Elford's place out in Seattle, crushing it. Um, my good friend Derek Brown at the Columbia Room down in D.C., Jamie Boudreau at Cannon in Seattle as well, uh, and many, many other friends on those lists, which is just amazing. And, of course, Amori Margot, Chop Liver, we didn't make the list. Um, but not a big deal. Uh, I get to do this radio show every week and meet fun people. So in studio today, I've got Mal Spence, who is the global ambassador, right, hey. for um, Black Bottle Scotch. Uh, here from Scotland, and as well, I have Hal Wolin, our local Black Bottle rep, right here in Brooklyn, New York. How's it going? Pretty good, man. Pull that mic closer to your face. There you go, buddy. Um, welcome, guys. Welcome to the studio. Thanks. I hope you had a great flight. How, how long have you been here? I uh, got here Saturday afternoon, so a couple of days just to chill out and acclimatize, and then met up with Hal on Monday and just started seeing the town. Right on. How long are you staying? I'm here until Saturday again, so I'll fly out on a red-eye Saturday evening. Oh, yeah, so just one week. That's yeah. plenty of time to see all of New York. It's a tiny town. Yeah, get home in time to catch the soccer as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, what sort of um, shenanigans are you getting into while you're here? Yeah, it's been pretty chilled so far. Most times I come to New York, it can get a wee bit heavy quite quickly, quite yeah. prolonged. Um, this time we've mainly been focusing on doing some training sessions with our distributors and then doing a guest bartending shift tonight at Grand Army, yeah. which I'm really looking right forward to. Right after the show, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool, that sounds awesome. What are some of the highlights so far? Where have you been? Uh, um, we went to Seamstress. Yeah? Yeah, really cool bar. Really, really liked that. 
Um, Did you do an event up there, or are you just hanging out? No, we just uh, popped in to visit Pam. Yeah. Um, she here? I thought she was in Miami. No, she came back yesterday. Oh, right on. Yeah, I mean, Hal's been doing some great work with Pam, um, with Black Ball as well, over the past year or so. So uh, I haven't been there in, this, in that meantime. So it was a real good opportunity to pop in and say hello and thanks to Pam. It was a beautiful bar. And yeah, she, yeah. She's, a, she's amazing. Outstanding, yeah. She's so charismatic. Uh, she's a firecracker, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I just took over her position as the president of the USBG New York City uh, chapter. Okay. Big, big shoes to fill. Yeah. Yeah. And then we went down to PDT. PDT, PDT. Oh, yeah, I heard of it. Yeah, yeah. great bar. <laughs> That's a secret one. Yeah. Well, yeah, was Bell there? Was Jeff Bell there? Uh, no, um, AK was there. Oh, yeah, Rad. Yeah. Uh, so you were right in my neighborhood. You haven't been to my bar yet, though. Not yet. Um, I'm keeping that. that. That one's for me. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of like um, off work. All right. Well, you know, you can come anytime. I've got I've got Black Bottle on the bar, but, you know, you have plenty of other stuff at my bar to drink. A few Amaros. Yeah. yeah. I hear you're a fan of Amaro. I love Amaro. Yeah, you got a favorite off your head? Um, without, without stepping on anybody's toes, you know, Averna is probably yeah my go-to Amaro, but um, I'd say working with um, and using in mixed drinks is probably some of the Koki range. Yeah, 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 and Koki's an outstanding like range. Yeah, so the Americano, the um, Torino Vermouth. Yeah, yeah, they've got some great, great products. Yeah, they have their new. Um, well, I don't know if it's new, but new to us anyway. The dope. Uh, it's in Italian. I don't know. It means after theater. Doppio, doppio teatro. Oh, yeah, yeah, Have you yeah. tried that one? Yeah, I have, yeah. Um, I'm heading out there in May. Oh, yeah? Yeah, to Coconato. So yeah. for a couple of days, I'm nasty. I'm really looking forward to that. Is that p- pleasure or business? Um, pleasure. Yeah? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I've, I've known Roberto for a few years now. So oh, nice. I'm going to go spend a few days with him and my wife as well. She's a big Amaro fan. Excellent. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the juice. Let's talk about Black scotch. Black bottle scotch. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about scotch in general, and then let's get specific and talk about your yeah. scotch. So where is Black Bottle Scotch from? What style of scotch is it? Well, it's a blended scotch, mm-hmm. um, mainly a blend of Speyside and Highland. Um, so our origins are in Aberdeen, um, up in the very, very northeast of Scotland. Famous these days for the oil industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then it was 1860s, 1870s. Aberdeen was a really kind of um, rich uh, port town. So you had a lot of different trade and commodity coming in through Aberdeen in the 1860s, 1870s. Really big shipbuilding town as well. Um, you'll be familiar with tea clippers. Um, yep. There was a really famous one they named the Whiskey of mm-hmm. after you, Cutty Sark. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so the Cutty Sark was built by a, a shipbuilder from Aberdeen. I find, you know, it, this is a true of, of lots of spirits in uh, all over the world, in America as well. Like, if you're, if you're building your business around a port of call and or a, a train station mm. I feel like you get, you get a lot of traction because you, you, can, you just ship it right out right from, right from home it goes far yeah that's true whereas if you build you know somewhere that's not like that you, it's, it's a little bit longer of a trail to spread out the, the good news <laughs> yeah I mean from our point of view I think um, Gordon Graham took he's the creator of Black Ball I think he took more advantage of what was coming in mm. through the port rather than going out um, he was a really famous tea merchant and that's how he established his name in Aberdeen was as a tea blender and as a tea merchant. Mm. So, you know, when you're looking at the history of Aberdeen and its, um, its importance in the British Empire at that time, I mean, mainly it was a port town and there was a lot of trading commodity, but tea, I mean, Scotland was massive, massive influence in the, in the tea industry. In yeah, of course. Yeah. Which in turn, you know, totally influenced uh, the growth and the evolution of whiskey. Tea maker turned Scotch blender. Yeah, but he's not alone. It, seems, in that. it doesn't seem like a big jump. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, John Walker. Oh yeah, of course. He was a tea blender. 
uh, the Chivas Brothers as well. Oh. The Chivas Brothers were only located a few streets down from Gordon Graham in Aberdeen. Mm. Collect- they, collective subconscious. Everyone's doing yeah, kind I of the same so. thing at the same time without knowing. Yeah. I've, I mean, like you say, it's a natural leap. Uh, and, and even if you look at the actual skill set of a tea blender to a whiskey blender, you actually see that it's really, really similar to what a bartender does when he's creating a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Which is an important message, you know, because throughout the world, you know, bartenders, some bartenders in some communities will consider what they do a craft and a skill and to a certain extent an art. But there's a flip side of that coin where a lot of bartenders won't consider what they do really anything special other than just uh, providing a service. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's important to, you know, remind bartenders that you don't have to go to the extent of saying it's an art, but, you know, I think it's important to realise that it is a skill and it's a skill that's very familiar to some other trades and some other industries that are very very highly regarded yeah you're right it's sort of the micro version of that we're, we're doing it by the glass where these guys are doing it by yeah. the casks multiple barrels uh you were a bartender right mm. how long um i mean i still consider myself a bartender to some extent. well how long have you okay how long have you jumped about, to the to the brand side how long ago uh, so I became a global brand ambassador about three years ago. Yeah, before that I worked for different brands. I worked for Jack Daniels as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, I loved it, man. Loved that. That's a great brand, great history, great yeah. heritage. Um, but I've been a bartender for about 18 years. Yeah. Elza. You don't look that old, but they start younger over there, right? Yeah, yeah that's true. That's <laughs> they started 12? Yeah, I remember about that. You're banging around yeah. the pub. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I was mainly based in Glasgow for my pretty much my whole career for a period I moved to Edinburgh for three years and that's what really kind of launched my career as a bartender being in Edinburgh Edinburgh is a much much smaller city than Glasgow you know Edinburgh is you know you could I'm a Glaswegian so I can be quite slight about Edinburgh Uh, we've got quite a rivalry between the two cities Um, is this the Chicago New York thing it would be fair to say that Edinburgh is pretty much a village oh (laughs) whack well I mean they've got a population of about a quarter of a million Right, Glasgow is 3.5. Oh, yeah. wow. That's a shocking difference. Massive difference, yeah. yeah. I'll be in Edinburgh in April uh, yeah. for the Tales, Tales of the Cocktail. What do they call it? Tales on Tour? Tales on Tour. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I've never been to Scotland. I'm really, really excited. Oh, you're going to have a great time. Yeah. I think it's going to have quite a quite a following and quite a, an audience from Europe in general. Ron. Yeah, I hope so. That's kind of what I want to do. Um, uh, fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to look at it, for me, I've... Uh, I've not traveled the world very much, so I'm trying to make it my mission to get out of the country more this year. I'm leaving for Mexico next week. I'm leaving wow. for Edinburgh following that. I've got some other trips planned in the future as well. well but you'll be there, right? So I hope yeah, to see I'll be you there. there. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. Um, I may be in a different state than I'm right now. Well, let's maybe talk about what gets you to that different state. Um, talk to me about Black Bottle Scotch. Black Bottle's pretty cool, man. What's I mean, in the bottle? It's. I mean. It is quite different from blends, right? And it is quite different from Scotch whiskey. And when I say that, I'm not being disparaging to other blends, you know. Um, I quite like a lot of blends. And I, I certainly like single malt as well. I think maybe every malt that I've tasted over the years, there's maybe only two two expressions that I've not enjoyed. Mm. Uh, everything else I've, you know, I've loved. But what's really unique about black? I'm, I'm personally, I'm a seventy thirty guy. I, I think I drink seventy percent in the when I'm drinking scotch. Mm-hmm. I would say seventy percent of the scotch I drink is blended. I mean, thirty percent is single malt. I mean, that that could be argued for every drink in the world. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, that's what my back bar is. I have two blends and one one single malt. 
Yeah. Yeah. Add more. But we don't do we don't focus on spirits very much. Well, I mean, the beauty of blue blends is I mean, it's one of the reasons why it became so popular was its accessibility and its versatility. Whereas a single malt can be quite specific. Yeah. Um, and if if you're in Scotland, you'll discover how Presbyterian we can be with regards to you know Scotch whisky. This kind of thou shall not kind of attitude. <laughs> you don't really see that reflected in blends too much, you know, um, especially in Scotland. But when it comes to single malt, people are a lot more kind of precarious about how it's used and how it's enjoyed whereas you speak to a distiller they don't care you know you can drink it with iron brew you can drink it with root beer as long as you enjoy it <laughs> they just want you to enjoy it yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly um, um, so let's talk about specifically what's going on in the bottle of black bottle well you know one of the main differences that I think about black bottle where the blends rather than getting into a whole argument about what's better and what's not um, what's really different about black bottle is that to me it's almost like a like a vintage blend you know it tastes like a blend that's from that era you know, um, if you look at some of the other blends, like a like a famous Grouse or Chivas Regal, or maybe even like Johnny Johnny Walker Red, um, they're quite specific in their taste profile. You know, and they've been adapted and evolved slightly over the years. And the same is true of Black Bolt to a certain extent. But the liquid that we have here um, is very much a recreation of the original Black Bolt as it was in the 1870s. So it's a wee bit spicier a wee bit smokier but there's still an element of sweetness there and those three distinct characteristics give it a really really good balance yeah I mean it's delicious scotch I again it's one of only three scotches on my back bar um, and we get a lot of mileage out of it it's in a very popular drink on the menu currently as well you've had it right Hal? yeah it's great <laughs> I mean it works great in cocktails as well you know that distinct mouthfeel that you get that is quite quite rich yeah, and almost like a Jamaican yeah, pot distilled rum, you know? Yeah, you get a little bit of smoke in the finish, just kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't hit you in the face. I don't find it to be particularly yeah. smoky, um, you know, as far as, you know, scotch goes. And I think that that's the polarizing thing about scotch um, whiskey. Americans are really fond of whiskey. I find that scotch whiskey polarizes us, I guess. Well, it's quite a different kind of smoke, though, eh? Because when you... Yeah, it's not big and peaty. Yeah. Crack that bottle, Hal. I see you're, you're getting nervous over there. You know, when you... <laughs> When you think of it, the word smoke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, Breakfast. That's a dram. <laughs> you relate it to scotch and, you know, the assumptions and what you've got as scotch whiskey. You think of peat. You think of kind of earthiness. You think of phenols. Whereas the smokiness is a lot more subtle. Um, someone once compared it quite recently, I taste, to more of a kind of mezcal type of smoke. Huh. I mean, let me put my nose on this and give it a smell. Hmm. Yeah, I can maybe see that. Let me get my let me get a taste of it in a second. First, though, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, uh, and we'll be right back with Mal Spence and Hal Wollen of Black Bottle Scotch. Hi, I'm Jordan Silbert, founder and CEO of Q Drinks. And we're proud to support the Speakeasy. At Q Drinks, we make spectacular carbonated mixers crafted to mix with your favorite spirits. Based right here in Brooklyn, we're available nationally in six flavors, including Q Tonic Water for spectacular gin and tonics and Q Ginger Beer for spectacular Moscow Mules. I started the company after a night in my backyard with good gin, really good friends, and lousy tonic water. I realized the world needed better mixers, so I made them. Q Drinks uses real ingredients, a lot less sugar, and a lot more carbonation. The result? 
clean, crisp, spectacular beverages that bring out the best in your favorite spirits. Using Q Drinks, it's easy to create terrific drinks with just two pours. One to two ounces of your favorite spirit and three to four ounces of Q poured over ice in a highball glass. It's simple and spectacular. Q Drinks. Make your drink spectacular. Yeah, please do. And we're back. Um, back in the studio here with uh, Mal Spence, the global brand ambassador, Black Bottle Scotch, Hal Wollen, the local Black Bottle representative here in Brooklyn. You know, I during the break there, I was looking over my notes. I totally skipped over Bar Goto, my, one of my favorite bars in the world. Uh, I go to every Sunday. I call it church down in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. They are also on the James Beard nom list. Hopefully they'll make it to the short list. And then win, and then be too crowded for me to get in there on Sundays. Such a beautiful bar, too. Uh, it's my uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It feels like home. It is my favorite. Um, yeah. Thanks for reminding me that they were on the list. I totally spaced. So I can't believe you forgot. Uh, well, maybe I'm trying to keep it a secret. You know, secretly keep it a secret. That way, I don't feel so bad. I just just run a corner from my hotel, so I'm definitely going to swing by. Yeah, you know, I live. Uh, I mentioned to you. You said you're staying right down next to me. I live only about four blocks from that bar. So yeah, I met Kenta. Uh, must have been about. Wow, uh, 2009, 2010. Yeah. He was across in Belfast at the Merchant Hotel, obviously where Jack and Sean came from. Mm-hmm. And it was the last ever Connoisseurs Club. And so they did this East versus West. And it was a uh, Jameen. Oh, yeah. um, where it says, um, where was it again? I can't mind. It was a crazy night. I missed my plane the next day. Had to get, <laughs> had to get Sounds a great, great yeah, night. Yeah, I had to yeah. get a ferry back home to Scotland. It took me took me about 20 hours to get home. My wife wasn't not happy. Oof. Not happy. Jeez. I bet that was a pleasant trip. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so you poured us some black bottle right before we went to break. We gave it, uh, well, I didn't, it looks like you've already jumped mm. into tasting, but I was just giving it a nose. Hey, it's after but 10. I, I know this yeah. stuff, you know. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's after 10. It's after 10 somewhere at all times, Al. <laughs> Depends on which tan you're looking at. Yeah, so, I mean, black bottle is really easy to... The smoke to, is yeah. really late. It, you yeah. know, I don't find this to be... A, I wouldn't even use this, use smoke as a descriptor when I describe this scotch. I use, I say things like rich mouthfeel, toffee. I get, like, some toffee notes. A little bit of sweetness. Yeah. Yeah, just totally... It totally kills some cocktails. Yeah, I mean, there's different ways of... You, you know, man, you make cocktails, yeah. so there's different ways of enhancing or like contemplating some of them tastes. But if you add a bit of water into that, it pulls the smoke out a lot more. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I'm going to do that then. I've got some water right here. We are prepared at the Heritage Radio Network. There we go. Let that open up a little bit. I see also, Hal, that you brought a second bottle of Black Bottle Scotch, but it's in a green bottle. Why is the bottle green? So, Black Widow's got a pretty cool history. Originally created, as Mel was saying, in 1879 by Gordon Graham, Scottish Tea Blender, um, in a black bottle, hence the name. And then around 1914 or so, they had switched to a green bottle. Um, they were getting black glass from Germany. World War I happened, so switched to a green bottle, kept the name Black Bottle. Uh, this went on for about 96 years or so? Yeah, about 96 years. Yeah. Yeah. 96 uh, years it was in a black bottle scotch was in a green uh, bottle. Uh, uh, Scotland. But I love it started, you know, uh, I, I love hearing things like this. Like, hey, there's history there. It yeah. started because there was a glass shortage or issue during a, a major world event. Mm. There's, yeah, there's a lot of history to the, the brand. has changed hands a couple of times over the last 100 plus years. The two of us have been trying to figure out who owned it when, where, how, and why, basically. Um, and then in 2013, Burns Stewart, the current owners, uh, re-released Black Bottle 
in a black bottle. Tweaked to blend a little bit so to be closer to the original flavor profile for 19, uh, back from 1914. So that's what I initially poured for you guys. Which I'm and, sipping on now. It's delicious. Yeah. And, and I, you're right. The smoke is coming a little bit forward now that yeah. I added just a wee couple drops of water. I'm being a little bit of a whiskey nerd. Uh, I've been trying to acquire old bottles of black bottle just to see how the liquid's changed. If it's closer to the original uh, new bottle or if it's totally different. So I brought a bottle of 1960s black bottle, uh, which is actually bottled for some weird reason, 70 proof, 35%. Uh, We think it's a a legislature change in the 60s in Scotland, but we haven't been able to confirm that. So this bottle was released in Scotland, so it's a Scottish release? Yeah. Black bottle wasn't available in the U.S. until the 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, black bottle was, you know, it was quite a a small niche brand. Like I said, Gordon Graham didn't really go... To the same lines of like John Walker did, you know. Sure. Um, so I mean, Black Bottle was only really produced in the northeast of Scotland, and it was, you know, it was quite a small brand. And it was only recently when um, I came on board as a global brand ambassador that we started launching in various different places in the world. Hmm. So we're in South Africa, US, Canada, Scandinavia, Europe, um, and then later on this year we'll be going out to uh, the Far East. Uh, well, yeah. They love scotch over there. Yeah, they do. They did a really good job at replicating it and then eventually... <laughs> kind of taking it away. Yeah, and then bettering <laughs> it to a certain extent. Yeah. But that's the beauty of Japanese culture, you know? Yeah, they're not going to... Well, we were talking about that earlier. They're not going to embarrass themselves. No. They're going to do something. They're going to do it right. They're going to do it well. I've, I've tasted some expressions of uh, Japanese whiskey that have just blown me away. But then they've, they've kind of came across the same problem that Scot- the Scotch whisk industry has, and that's a shortage of aged stock. Well, yeah, I mean, the whiskeys of the world are having the same problem. Yeah. Whiskey's becoming such a popular, uh, you know, juice that people can't keep up, right? Mm. We're having the same problem with American whiskeys all over the place. It's crazy. Hal, you got any tasting notes on this 1960s? Uh, do you know what year, 1960? Uh, no, I've, I have about four bottles of 1960s juice, and each one tastes totally different from the other. So I brought you one of the the more interesting bottles. Is this mine here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some richness. I get some toffee, a little bit of sweetness. There's like a spice yeah. uh, aroma on the nose. Yeah. I don't know what that spice is though. I mean, I was thinking baking spice. I think Mal earlier in the week said black pepper. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. say white pepper, but I mean, we just opened this bottle yesterday afternoon. Taste a couple of bartenders on it as we were bouncing around town. You know, it was around about the 1950s that Black Bottle left family hands and it started to be purchased by, you know, big, bigger companies. And that's when you start to see a lot of changes happening. Um, you know, over the years between the 50s and late 90s, they started to move closer to Isla. Now, whether that was like a, like a brand decision to make or whether it was more, which seems more likely, is that to try and replicate that element of smoke and spice mm-hmm. and that kind of... Uh, peatiness maybe from the original Aberdeenshire style of malts back in the 1870s that they had to move there you know because in the 60s 70s you start to see a lot more generalisation of the regions in, in Scotch whisky mm-hmm. so you see the space side becoming more about light and uh, kind of more floral style malts uh, the highlands becoming a wee bit more a wee bit more malty and a wee bit more kind of spicier and then obviously Isla just becoming all about about peat and Big peat, yeah. yeah. So I think over the years, that general evolution of the Scotch whisky industry forced those owners into going further and further south until 
the mid to late 90s, you actually had Black Bottle being marketed as the Idler blend. Hmm. So it's fascinating history, man, you know? Yeah, I love following the history of, of especially whiskey, I guess because I like whiskey. But there is so much history. Um, some of that is true in the world of Amaro, um, mm. because Amaro's have been around for so long. Um, but I find that the whiskey guys really have the, the fun, interesting little tidbits. Even like the, the fact that this bottle went green for 96 <laughs> years based on the war. <laughs> yeah, and you know, that war lasted a you know, considerable amount of time. But not 96 years. Yeah, exactly. You know? Could have gone back. So there was a few opportunities to reflect back to that. And the fact that no one clicked. Why yeah. is this called Black Bowl? Yeah. You know, uh, you know in 96 years it took. And um, it was a, an Italian Glaswegian guy that actually was like, hold on a second. Yeah. We can you know? fix this. Yeah, we can fix this, man. Um, yeah, and the bottle looks pretty stately now that it's black. Um, yeah. Well, one of the oldest examples we have of Black Bottle when it was in, in its old style Black Bottle was from 1904. Mm-hmm. And I have a bottle of that. Um, I really, really wanted to bring it with me, but yeah, it's the only bottle we've got. Ah, I totally understand. So, yeah, there's a picture on Hal's uh, Instagram I'm looking at. Um, oh, it looks pretty similar. Really. Yeah. Yeah, really similar, right? Similar shape, drop shoulder. I like it. Even the label's really similar as well. Yeah, crazy. Um, yeah, so let's uh, let's. So I just nosed this guy. Did you taste it yet? You tasted it yesterday. What are your tasting notes, Hal? I get a little bit of, like vanilla, um, just a little bit of smoke. Not as much as the the current blend. Um, a little bit of oil, oily mouthfeel. Yeah, this one's a lot lighter. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's lower proof, but a lot lighter. And that spice note, that little peppery bit, is coming through a lot. I think what they would have done was to try and bring that blend more in line with the blends that were popular, you know? Because the original Black Bottle was... It was quite a challenging blend, you know? It was quite it was quite rich. It was quite intense. So I think maybe over the years, different owners tried to bring it more in line with, like, the standard blends like Jules, John Walker Red Label. Yeah, you want to reach as broad an audience as you yeah, can, exactly. especially when you're starting your business, and then as your business carries on and gets a little bit stronger, you can be a little bit more niche and yeah. define yourself a little bit more. Obviously, the guys that especially made it an Iowa blend didn't consider reaching a large market. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it, but in the end, they kind of have, you know? Like, they've been niche the whole time, and now people seek that stuff out. Yeah. You know, like, peated scotch is a very popular... But again, super polarizing. Mm-hmm. Like... I know you're not behind a bar anymore, but and when you were, you were in Scotland. Was it is is Scotch as polarizing in Scotland as it is here in America? Oh, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Is it like hometown hero? You got to drink what you you're from your own home, or do you got to the closest? The closest we've got in Glasgow is um, Ockintoshan, mm-hmm. which is from yeah, it's just outside the t- town where my mother lives, mm-hmm. um, Kilpatrick, um, and then you have Glengoyne as well, which is just outside of Glasgow. But you know. The, the, it's it's the same world over as, as in Scotland. It's Glenn Fiddick, McAllen, Glenn Maranji. They're the big, big hitters in Scotland as well. Hmm. That's, that's interesting, I find. Because America's spirit, America's national spirit is bourbon, yeah. which I think is a mistake. Rye was around long before. Yeah. But when... when Prohibition. You know, we did this thing in America called Prohibition. You heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> the noble experiment. <laughs> Failure. Um, so when Prohibition ended, um, 
bourbon became wildly popular because it was, well, A, it was available at that point. You know, it wasn't really available pre-Prohibition. And then it was uh, a little bit sweeter. And I think during Prohibition we acquired a sweet tooth because we drank more than we ever had drank before. But we had to hide all the bad booze with a lot of sugary things. So we, we changed our palate. And then that's, you know, somewhere around in that time is when we decided we needed a national spirit. And this one was so popular that it dominated rye. I think rye should have been our heritage. So, so that's what, that's actually what they're trying to make it now. Dave Pickerel's working on a plan here in the United States to make rye a heritage spirit. It can't be the national spirit because that's already taken with rye whiskey. Yeah, but rye's always. Um, I mean, coming from the UK, you know, we always in the bars I worked, we always, you know, favoured rye as a base for like American classic style cocktails. Um, but I mean, it was always so sh- so short in supply. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, frankly, that's still happening. You know, I'm sure you're talking about some time ago, but, but yeah, it's still but happening. Ago, yeah. um, and the reason is that the popularity is jumping faster than projected sales. So, you know, you're talking about a product that's usually at least four years old, and they're projecting numbers four years ago, yeah. and they aren't projecting high enough. So every year, all the sort of favorite back, uh, you know, back of your bar, uh, back of your bar's rye whiskeys are they go into you know, they're gone for a couple of months. Stock, over here. Get yeah. replaced with something else for yeah, a little yeah. while. Going, they, you know, yeah. Rittenhouse especially, which drives me nuts um, because it's such a delicious and spicy scotch. And it's yeah, also, I think, great. really cheap. Mm-hmm. And my feeling is this is a this is the law of supply and demand. If you if you're running out of your product every year, then raise your price. I'll well, be willing to pay a couple dollars more. It's so inexpensive already. When we were buying in Rittenhouse, I think it was about 13, 13 pounds. And um, the last I checked, it was you know it's it's went up considerably in price now. Yeah, I mean, certainly they've gone up over the years, but I, I still feel like there's room for them to go up and not not alienate their their clientele. I, you know, because the people who are buying it at the price that it is and running it out, they're just looking for economy. Mm. They, don't, they don't actually. I think that someone some on the lower end of that scale don't even realize they're getting such a great product. They're just looking for the economy of the product. They'll jump to something else that's economic. Uh, the ones who are like me, willing to pay two dollars more a bottle, you know, so that it's never out of supply. Like I know what I'm getting for that money. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I feel like I'm cheating them all the time because it's so cheap, all the time, and then suddenly it's out of stock for, you know, five to seven weeks every year. I think one of the and just with with bourbon and rye, last I don't know eight years, ten years, being becoming more popular than cocktails. I think one of the things that kind of slowly leading to is more people drinking scotch and cocktails. Which, I mean, you can attest to that more than probably more than I can probably being behind the bar all the time. I mean, I see a lot yeah. of scotch cocktails yeah. Yeah. out and about. I don't know. Uh, I know Damon loves scotch. I know yeah. he's got some scotch cocktails on his menu at, at uh, Grand Army. I always have <clears throat> one, um, but that's some real estate for me, given that I only carry 10 cocktails on my menu at any time. And then I always have scotch that we can reach for and use in cocktails. Um, but, uh, yeah, scotch, I think, is becoming more of a grab behind bars in America than it, than it was even, honestly, even two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, from the consumer perspective, I see people, oh, I like bourbon, I like rye. They don't have my favorite rye today. What else should I try? And, you know, I want to try a scotch maybe. And, you know, Black Bottle, similar notes to bourbon as far as the way it drinks. Get a little smoke, a little richness, nice long finish. So, I mean, I, I, I think the, the brown spirits market has slowly opened up to envelop more more of all whiskeys the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I think that comes down to communication as well. Yeah, educate. I, I yeah. always say, there's no better place to get an education than at a bar. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I was a bartender for 17, 18 years and I ran bars and I owned a bar as well and you know I could count in one hand the amount of times that either a brand rep or a, an ambassador whether it be regional or global would come in and talk to me about blended whiskey really? yeah wow genuinely I had more people come in and talk to me about fortified wines than blended whiskey in Scotland you know I, but that's changed so much over the past three to five years oh, this guy's always in my bar that's because I love you yeah well, he's, he's, an he's a hard one guy he's a hard one guy yeah um, yeah, so, you know, it's all about education. Uh, I hope that's what we do across the bar, and I, I certainly hope that's what we do across this show is get some education out there. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of like changing the perception of for the consumers. A lot of people still think just all scotch is just smoke. And, yeah, there's that polarizing element yeah, again. Yeah, I mean, not um, every scotch is just smoke in your face. I feel like um, there's another edge to that sort of, of, um, of polarization, which is... Uh, and I hate to even say it because I feel like I'm getting old myself, but people view scotch as an old person's drink. Yeah. In much this, and I can say this with you know without you know a lot of hesitation because I my whole house is built out of Amaro, and people think that of that as well. Yet you look around my bar and it's packed with people from all ages, frankly, but mostly at this point they're younger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know? do you know it's it's real when I look at the the, the whiskey industry over the last five ten years. Um, and certainly going back to when I started as a bartender and the general attitude specifically to blended whiskey you know, it's it cheap, it's inferior it's not as good as a quality product as a single malt is, there's not as much time there's not as much effort put in it as a single malt I feel like there's more effort put into exactly, it exactly, yeah. single I malt mean, is just, we made it, we bottled it done <laughs> yeah, I know, I mean, but um, you know, if it, it wasn't if it wasn't for blended whiskey initially we wouldn't be talking about single malt whiskey, you know, because back in the 1860s, people weren't drinking single malt whiskey. You know, single malt whiskey at that time it was unrefined, unlegislated to a certain extent. Um, you know, there wasn't as many controls on Scotch whiskey yeah. as there is now. So, you know, it was a lot fierier, it was a lot spicier, it was a lot more challenging. And even in the central belt of Scotland, Glasgow, Edinburgh, I don't think too many people were drinking drinking it. You know, I think it was just the crazy Highlanders and the, the wee illicit stills creating stuff illegally and you know maybe making a few people blind yeah you know but it was it was blending that really really made it a lot more approachable there was a few there was kind of like a storm of opportunity that happened in the space of 40 50 years in scotland Mm -hmm. that changed the whole landscape of scotch whiskey you know because the majority of people would drink french wine and brandy and then you had the flocks or epidemic yeah wiped them out wiped out no grapes no wine no brandy then you had um uh, James Coffey inventing the continuous still which meant for the first time you could create a whiskey from grain mm-hmm. really quickly that was lighter sweeter and a lot more approachable then you had the excise act which was around about the 1830s but the time that took took hold meant there was a lot more legis- legislation coming into place in the whiskey so in the space of like 50 years you had an entire landscape changing and you know, blended whiskey was the one that really started to make everybody drink whiskey. And back then, it was seen as the more refined, the more superior, the higher quality whiskey to be drinking than uh, the stuff that was coming straight off the stills. So, you know, it was almost like the opposite to the attitude yeah. is what it's kind of like considered right now. I absolutely see that, yeah. It's really interesting. And I've always thought that the blends were 
this is a more in- intricate thing to make. Yeah, of course, because you to, need to make them and then make them consistent. Yeah, consistently. That's it. Over a, a period of 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. You know, and some malts don't become available anymore. So you've got to be able to recreate that same product over and over as a master blender. Yeah. And these guys do this forever, yeah. right? You're like yeah. born into the job. You die at the job. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really famous. Dave Stewart, uh, um, uh, William Grants. I think he's been there for like, what, I think the last couple of years. Yeah, man. Yeah. How long? Uh, about 50, a little bit over 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Born to the job, died yeah. to the job. He was made to retire like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can't do it. Uh, you know, good for them to have yeah. someone that dedicated to stay on. Well, boys, this has been great. Very enlightening, educational, and delicious. Thanks for hanging out with us in the studio today. Um, I'm going to wrap up the show. After the show, though, at 5 o'clock, you guys are doing a two-hour happy hour over at Grand Army, yeah. uh, which is uh, Damon Bolte's bar down in Brooklyn. Um, so if you're listening and you should, you should get over there and drink some scotch whiskey cocktails with these guys they know what they're doing and what they're talking about um, and it's always a fun time the speakeasy um, uh, happy hour series that happens over there um, next week's show we got Jan Warren dear friend of mine as well as um, sort of local bar legend here in New York City um, he's going to be on the show with Damon talking about gin Black bottle gin, or sorry, black bottle, black bottle scotch. <laughs> Thanks for uh, the track. You got it. Black bottle makes it gin. That's next year, man. You give away <laughs> the secret. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, uh, Brooklyn gin. Um, and then Jan is also going to be doing a happy hour at um, Grand Army immediately following from 5 to 7 um, using that delicious juice as well. I will not be here. I'll be in Mexico um, where I've never been. So I'm excited to get out of the country again. You know, you know they have sun there, right? I'm excited. I'm ready for the sun. I I, I tan really well. I just never see the sunlight in my day-to-day life anymore. Um, Anyway, yeah, so that was a great show, guys. Thanks for being here. Um, Tune in next week for Jan Warren and Brooklyn Gin. And uh, thanks for listening to the speakeasy, guys. Cheers. Thanks for for having us. Cheers. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's going to save your soul. The Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Oh,